You are listening to the Mary Jane Society Podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, Marketing Director for Studio 420. Today we meet Kate Miller, CEO of the popular Miss Grass Pre-Roll brand, which is now in five states and moving across the country as they continue to build national brand awareness. I talked to Kate about their recent move into New Jersey, and she tells us how you need to have boots on the ground, developing relationships in the store with bud tenders, buyers, the community, and the end customer to successfully build a brand. She believes in in in-person and digital marketing needs to be part of the overall strategy to build a brand successfully. Let's meet Kate Miller. Hello. Hey, Kate. How's it going? Moving along. Where are you based? I'm I'm in New York City. I'm in uh, Lower Manhattan. Awesome. Are you also? I am. I'm not actually the second, but I, yeah, I'm based in, um, in Manhattan, in the West Village. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm right by City Hall. Oh, awesome. Yeah, Brooklyn Bridge, you know. Uh, yeah, been down here for a long time. Raised a few kids down here. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, I noticed, um, I, I was looking on your uh, LinkedIn profile that you used to work at uh, Broadway Video. Yeah. Uh, in the Brill Building? No, um, in 30 Rock. So their post-production facility was in the Brill, 1619 Broadway. And then when I was there, that yeah, they had an office for post-production there and then more of like the corporate business. And of course we shot 30 Rock at, and um, SNL at, out of 30 Rock. Yeah, I, I was uh, in my former career, I was an assistant film editor on feature film. So I spent like 15 years in that building back in the day. Oh, no uh, way. That's so, I mean, that building is, is historic. It's legendary. Yeah. And I was there during the time of editing. You know, it was all yeah. violas and flatbeds and, you know, all the big directors were there, all the big films. We were all in that one building. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. So anyway, I saw that and I thought, oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. So yeah, let's get started. Um, anyway, I know you're focusing now on New Jersey because you're just entering that marketplace. So that's kind of exciting. But I just wanted to start out with, um, I've read that you really started your journey with Miss Grass um, by uh, developing a personal brand. That That's kind of the core of what how it started and then and i'm kind of a believer coming from the marketing world that you know kind of pre pre pre-launching your brand and pre-promoting your brand and laying that groundwork can only be beneficial to start building up that customer base did you think that that tactic was really super beneficial in getting traction because you're one of the few brands out there getting a footprint on the national level and making a name for yourself Yeah. So when we launched the brand in January of 2018, we did not launch with product. Um, We didn't actually launch our product until we built community first. So in January 18, our brand was a community, an online community platform. We had an online and still do have an online magazine where we've now created over a thousand pieces of editor, mainly editorial content. 
um, and mainly on uh, education that is education led. So there's, you know, pieces of content there that speak to the science, the history, the products. Um, we hold hands with a lot of thought leaders in the space to amplify their stories. Um, that So we have this digital platform as well as that has bled um, to us doing a lot of things in real life with partnerships and events. Um, we've held a massive conference at the University of Berkeley called SheCan. Um, we've done partnerships with Beats by Dre, Aloe Yoga, Lululemon, Soho Houses. Um, and we primarily focus on how do we build, lead with education and build a, a community of conscious cannabis consumers across the entire country, knowing that ultimately as this plant becomes more and more normalized and more states turn on, it'll behoove us to have a loyal community in, in every single state and even around the world. Um, so we did that for the first three years of the business, just shy of three years of the business. And then having amassed quite a large community and having that first person relationship with that community, we also captured a ton of data and insights of exactly what they were buying, what their top needs were. And we used all of that to ultimately inform what became our first product, which we launched in October of 2020. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, I, that's great. Um, and who, who, who are your customers? Who was that, that, who was that group that you're referring to in this first iteration of your company? Yeah. So, you know, we, we have a, a community of conscious consumers, meaning they're really focused. They want to know what they're putting in their body. They want to know who's behind the brands that they are supporting with their dollars. Um, and predominantly that community is uh, of women. So 76% of our community are women, 24% um, are men, um, 25 to 35 is really our like core demo. And then it scales up from there. Um, so, and they're all over, we, you know, because of our approach of really focusing on building community first, um, and having an online platform and really leading a lot on the content side, it allowed us to, you know, cross states a lot easier than if we launched initially with, you know, plant touching product, right. which is very fragmented in state by state. So they're all over the country and even around the world. We have customers who have purchased things off of our e-com platform in every single state. And we have community all over the, all over the country and even around the world. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you were starting to make inroads into international communities and so you're finding that starting to happen. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, so uh, as far as New Jersey, I, I think I read that New Jersey is the fifth state that you're in. That you're it in. is. And it's my home state. So it was a coming home moment. Do you approach each state differently uh, as far as your marketing tactics? And it's so interesting because when you think about a brand in any other industry, they're launching nationally, you know, and, and sure you, you have to kind of zone in on your demographic, but I don't feel like that people approach it like a state by state as we are now we're right. being trained to do that. Is that now that you're in five states, are you kind of doing that? And you're just hiring people in each state to really focus on your marketing and PR. Is that how you're setting that up? Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, we are building a national and global brand. So there's a lot of, um, you know, similar assets and brand messaging and our mission that translates across states, across countries, um, that doesn't necessarily get localized. 
that being said, there is also a lot of things that we do need to localize giving the regulatory framework of our industry being state by state. So supply chain, for instance, is one of them. We have to go in and stack a supply chain and produce, manufacture, and distribute our product in every single state. You can't cross state, state lines. So that's something that when we look for um, the right partners in our state, in each of the states that we look to enter, um, that is something that we, of course, need to localize and uh, you know hold hands with the right local state supply chain partner. Um, from a marketing perspective, there's again, a lot that crosses over from a brand messaging perspective, but then there's a lot that is also localized. Um, this, you know, this plant and people who are lovers of cannabis, there's so many pockets around the entire country of these really incredible communities and thought leaders that are doing the work locally to ultimately support cannabis reform at a local level and support criminal justice reform at a local level and support things that really are, you know, localized. So in every single state, even before we launch that state, we'll start activating the community that we've already built in that state that's been following us for years. Um, we'll, we'll then also proactively reach out to the right thought leaders and activists and local brands and talent um, to hold hands with them to, to you know, support what they're doing, amplify what they're doing, and also help continue to grow um, a Missgrass community in that state. Um, and that, you know, that doesn't, that never goes away, even after we launch, that's something that we, um, you know, continue to, to look to do. Um, so yeah, our, our marketing approach from a, um, from a brand perspective is a national and localized hybrid approach. And, and, you know, there's a lot of talk about bud tenders um, really driving product sales because brands aren't really as, as known yet, um, though yours is becoming, you know, obviously has some traction on that. But for brands that are not as known, is there any advice that you can give them? Like there's so many new brands coming into the industry, obviously, and New Jersey's opening up. What advice would you give new brands uh, trying to get into dispensaries, uh, you you can prove sales histories because you've already been in four states. So that's you know a bonus for you. What what advice would you give on approaching and trying to uh, ensure that they get sell through in the in the dispensaries? Yes. So you mentioned bud tenders, and bud tenders are you know hold the keys to this industry. They're especially with a consumer base that is. Um, you know, entering maybe a dispensary and buying legal product for the first time, or, you know, there's, to your point, there's more and more and more brands and products that are showing up on a weekly basis in all of these markets. So consumers really do lean on bud tenders to help them guide them through the purchasing journey. So making sure from a brand side, like we make sure that every single bud tender has been sampled out our product. We need to make sure that they can intelligently and firsthand speak to um, our product because they've sampled it. Um, and, you know, every staff trainings, like that's something that with every single shop, we want to make sure that we can communicate with the staff to equip them with resources they need to intelligently um, speak to what our brand represents, what our brand mission is, um, what our products are. 
how we how when we look to um, essentially source the specific strains, we're really terpene focused. So equipping them with all of that knowledge so that they can do that. Um, you mentioned from an uh, from a shop acquisition perspective of like getting in with some of the MSOs, et cetera. You know, this industry is I really feel on the is is at a tipping point where you know to date the majority of the capital in the space has been poured into infrastructure and a lot of the infrastructure or i should say the majority of the infrastructure and supply chain of this industry is owned by msos um, but i do feel that is shifting especially with some new markets coming online like new york like um, you know, even New Jersey, which yes, right now, because it's so new and the medical shops converted over to rack and the medical shops are now all owned pretty much by MSOs, but all these new licenses coming on are some of the smaller independent Massachusetts, for instance, you can only own three retail shops. So even if you're an MSO at your capped at three, um, so yes, MSO, MSO relationships are really valuable, um, especially in some states like in Illinois, that is, you know, one MSO could own eight, 10, 15 shops. So plugging in with one buyer and getting into those 15 shops is really valuable. Um, but again, I do feel we're at that tipping point where the next kind of wave of, of supply chain operators, and especially on the retail side, will be more of the the independent um, operators, not necessarily only owning one shop, but not maybe being those, you know, five to eight MSOs that we know so well. So I think being authentic to who your brand is and not trying to create a brand that is something for everyone, as this market matures, it's going to look more and more and more like any consumer industry and brands who succeed in any CPG industry have an authentic connection to their community and have a really deep understanding of who that community is. Um, and again, I think that like gone are the days in weed that like, okay, I can be this pre-roll for every single consumer out there. I think being hyper-focused and the brands who own a specific audience vertical, I think will win in the long term. Yeah. Um, what about the this thought just came in is if I were a dispensary owner and you have so many brands um, that want to try to reach your bud tender and come in there and train them and do this and just think about how much time that takes. Are, are you fighting other brands? I mean, you're more a little more well known probably and they want you in there because you do have that sales history. Um, but I, I would imagine that that's got to be a hard thing to constantly get that bud tenders attention. And is that true? That yeah, absolutely. I mean, nothing in this industry I feel is easy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but you know, and there's there's not a a path ahead of us that we can point to of this is exactly the playbook that you should take, and it works. I think we're all throwing stuff up against the wall and seeing kind of what sticks. And I think the brands that are the most creative and again, like, are authentic to themselves will succeed. So even you know, how are you to your point, like? staff trainings like that takes time okay well if, if that's not an opportunity like what are the leave behind assets that you can leave behind 
at the shops that these bud tenders can, you know, flip through and still get the knowledge of your brand. What are, there's now, there's all, you know, technology tools too that help with that. We use a platform called Seed Talent, which is an online uh, training platform that it's a link. It's a fun kind of more interactive way, but it's a link that we send them. So it's not necessarily us needing to go to every single shop and getting all the attenders together at once. Um, so there's definitely, um, you know, ways to uh, support that without needing to be in shop touching every single contender. Yeah, but I will say like some, being in person is just so valuable and there's just so many brands, you know, even some brands that are, uh, you know, beyond just one state that is more of this like passing, passive licensing deal where they're not really showing up in market. I really don't feel that will work as these markets become more and more mature. You need to be boots on the ground in the store developing relationship with the staff, the buyers, the bud tenders, the community, the end customers. I think that's just so valuable. Obviously it's not as scale easily scalable as sending a, a link around and having a, you know, something digitally. Yeah. Um, but I think that it's not, it's not one or it needs to be one end. So I think that an IRL approach and a digital approach needs to be part of the overall strategy. Makes sense. So how about working with different um, uh, cultivation and extractors? Um, so that's who you're working with state to state to expand. I know I saw that you now have an infused product, so that's a probably a little more complicated. But and, and like you said, you, you are terpene focused on your products. So are there any like pros and cons or tips uh, that you can share when you're looking for extractors? And then the other question is, there must be a lot of competition in that now for other brands that don't need to get licenses, you know, like you, but you need someone to manufacture your product. And so I'm sure a lot of these extractors are, have people banging down their door. What, what, what do you, yeah. What are you experiencing? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. So yes, we work in every single state. Um, we're an asset light brand, meaning we don't own cultivation or manufacturing or distribution. So in every single state we'll go in and hold hands with, a cultivator who's ultimately, you know, growing the weed that's going into our product, a manufacturer and a distributor. Sometimes it's the same company that is vertical that owns all three of those. Sometimes it is not. And we kind of stack the supply chain accordingly. Um, so a lot goes into that one, identifying who the right partner is as it relates to, do they have quality product? Like, are they growing weed that is going to meet the misgrass specs? Um, one, are they good human beings that we want to work with and that ultimately see the value in what we're bringing to the table, which is we're brand marketers. We know how to scale a community, authentically cater to a demographic that frankly, not a lot of people can authentically do in this space. Um, and then, you know, vice versa, we need to see the value that they bring in the expertise of, you know, cultivators and manufacturers and supply chain. So it really needs to be a win-win and it needs to be a win-win because they ultimately need to see incremental value in, okay, well, if we put this product, if they, if we put this biomass in Miss Grass, we're going to, Miss Grass is ultimately going to sell more than if we put this this way. So it helps them justify ultimately taking a hit on margins. Um, 
for us, we work very closely with our cultivation teams in each state because like I mentioned before, we're extremely terpene focused. So our three SKUs, fast times, quiet times, all times, they will always have a consistent terp profile, batch to batch, production to production, state to state. So we'll work very closely with our cultivators. We'll get the, we'll get everything tested ahead of time and ultimately sometimes even blend two strains together to make sure that our fast times will always have that that terpene profile, which ultimately will always mean that consistently, if you're smoking a missgrass fast time, you know, you can expect a consistent result. Um, so, you know, it, it very much is a, a partnership. Um, and to your point, yes, now, you know, there's, there's, I do believe that this industry is going to look more and more and more like other industries. And in other industries, brands don't necessarily, especially at the beginning, don't own an entire supply chain. They work with contract co-packers and manufacturers to, you know, produce their product to the spec, you know, to of that brand. Um, so, you know, we're really focused on especially being a, a small independent brand. Everything is an opportunity cost and a bandwidth issue over here. So focus our energy and our attention on what we do well and hold hands with people that and operators who do um, things that we necessarily aren't experts at well and hold hands to ultimately create mutual value for each other. Right. So I know you're um, strapped for time. So I, I, I'll just skip through a couple of questions and just kind of maybe end it on um, what advice would you give someone starting a CPG product in the in the cannabis space? Uh, authenticity, I will go back to that, be authentic, that, that is going to, uh, you know, being a brand, you need to be authentic. Um, and I think that not to diss anyone in the space, but I don't, I think there's a lot of brands and I, I know you guys can't see me, but I'm putting that in quotation today in the cannabis space that are brands because they have the right price point. They have pretty branding. They have they own the shelves, but ultimately as this market matures, the brands who can connect authentically with a consumer base and have and create true brand loyalty will ultimately win. So I would just say like, it's so important to be able to connect to your, a community and capture that loyalty from that. And it, I think everything stems from being authentic to who, who your brand is. And are you making moves for New York? We I, are. New York is our biggest community base of Miss Grass. So it is definitely a state that we, one, have done things. We had pop-ups in New York. We've done a lot in, in that state. Um, so yes, we will We will definitely um, be looking to enter that, you know, enter the New York market, um, you know, when we figure out the right approach there. Yeah, I, I saw that you, I don't know if this is new, but I, I saw that you have the diamond infused uh, pre-roll. So um, I do go through New Jersey a lot. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to have to stop in and uh, grab one of those <laughs> to try it. It just looks great. I, you know, I love infused products. And that will be my last question. Are the, is the infused uh, pre-roll craze still happening? So, I, I mean, I think what we're seeing is is because of how fragmented this industry is, each state is almost its own market and each market's maturity is at a different level based on California being one of the most, if not the most mature markets. So I think what you're seeing is as markets mature, as biomass becomes more readily available, it 
some of the proliferation of, of products like infused pre-rolls come out. And it started where it was like, you know, solvent infused, et cetera. And now it's like live resin infusions and that. So every market is a bit different. I would predict that every market as it matures, um, infused will be a big thing in the, in the pre-roll category. Okay. Yeah. And I also hear coming from the West coast, I've talked to a couple of extractors there that solventless is, is like the biggest, hottest thing. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I don't think it's reached here, but anyway, I know you have to go and I really appreciate your time. And it was really nice to meet you. Pam, it was so great to meet you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.